Welcome to episode number 223 of Destination Linux. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this podcast is for you. My name is Ryan and with me today are Michael and Noah. Jill is off this week, but will be back with us next Sunday. On this week of Destination Linux, we have an amazing journey for you to go on. We have the CEO of Library, Jeremy Kaufman, here to talk about the SEC's recent lawsuit that threatens cryptocurrency and the blockchain. We have everyone's favorite hacker and pen tester, Bo Weaver, joining us again for another Hack Snack, Hack Shack. Hack Snack in the Hack Shack. I I like it. I like it. Then we're going to check out Firefox's latest release, plus take a sneak peek at their upcoming UI redesign. And we have our tips, tricks, and software picks. All of this coming up right now on Destination Linux. So this week in community feedback, Aaron writes us to say, Dear Destination Linux team, I'm an avid listener of your show, DL. Naturally, thank you very much for that. The reason of this email is to suggest, guys, to make a small comment or reference to Garuda Linux. Am I pronouncing that right, Michael? You're my official... I think so. Yeah, Garuda Linux is an Arch-based distribution configured for performance out of the box, plus ButterFS with TimeShift and ButterFS Grub. In simpler words, it... Awesome. You can have a bleeding edge distro that looks gorgeous. And in case of a disaster, you can simply boot into a snapshot and be back in business in less than what it takes to say stool. The knights that say stool. Please consider checking out this distro. Your fan, Aaron. So, Michael, I heard that you had, I looked into this distro, by the way, because you know I love Arch and I like everything they're doing. They have some really cool options here, including using the Linux Zen kernel. So this is a much more responsive and optimized for speed and gaming and things they're doing here. But I like the idea of having a rollback in an Arch distro by default. And of course, Calamari's installer, so you don't have to do a bunch of wizardry to get it installed. Yeah. That's really interesting. Uh, this looks cool to me. I think the, the the funny thing about this is like, this has a feature with the rollback with ButterFS. Uh, one, it's really cool they're using ButterFS. And the, the time shift combination is interesting because there's also a snapper as an option. That's what OpenSUSE uses. Uh, and it's it's an interesting dis- thing to, that they're doing because it made me think, you know, of all the distros that have, would have benefit of having a snapshot, that definitely Arch is yes, one of the, right? the top of that the list. That is a really good one for yeah. Arch. You're right. Yeah, it's at the top of the list. And it, it's kind of interesting that it's not... Uh, you know, it doesn't have its own. So it's, it is pretty cool that they're doing that. And also they have like multiple different uh, additions. I looked into it and said they have a XFCE, KDE. Naturally, of course, you should always have KDE option. Uh, Gnome. Uh, there's even one uh, for some tiling stuff like Qtile and ID, I3. And there's one that's really interesting. So they took... Only one that matters is I3. Well, I mean, sure. Uh, there's also uh, the LXQt edition. But instead of doing like the standard LXQ edition with the open box window manager, they're using KWIN instead. And I think that is very interesting. So I'm looking forward to trying that out. Uh, and I have, I've, I've looked into it in the past before, but I never really gave it a, a try, a spin on my machine. Uh, but based on looking at it more, uh, thanks to this email, which again, Aaron, thank you very much for bringing it to our attention uh, for this episode. I have decided that this coming week, I will be playing in it, playing with Garuda Linux and uh, let you know. My, my findings are next I think episode. I'm going to play with it too. Like the thing that got me here wasn't, this wasn't a single developer. Not that there's anything wrong with a single developer working on a distro, but when you're 
when you're doing shows and production and everything else, you can't rely that something will just be gone tomorrow and then you have no support for it. So I don't want to take the time to install something unless it's going to have a nice following. This has eight developers from across the globe working on its main developers and then a bunch of people contributing on top of it, but eight people from across the globe with some pretty awesome uh, credentials out there if you go to their site and a very nice website too that they took some time and, and care to building there. It just looks like a great distro and Arch can be extremely stable. I ran it for what, over a year and a half, two years without having a single issue while doing the show. So I mean, but I do like, Let's I like fair. the rollback feature for people who uh, maybe play with their system a little too much and want to roll back well, if they make let's, a change. Let's be clear to like so for we're not we're not, I don't want to bash Arch, but I do think Arch would be, be benefit massively from snapshots and rollbacks. I think it's a it's a big thing that Arch should have yeah. on their own. They should look into it themselves. But you know, some people say a lot of people say that Arch is stable, and uh, that's de- depending on your your uh, install and your configuration, probably true, but. In Ryan's example, if like you've been using it for a year and a half, like let's also remember that he's the guy who doesn't change anything that he installs. Right, keeps so. everything standard, <laughs> and you're fine. So, yeah. So yeah. if you ta- if you well, change nothing, is, you're good to go. <laughs> which is what you should be doing, anyway. Uh, I go with caring about the, the data. Right. Sure, the developer sure. is smarter than me and knows how to design things better than me. The design team. So why am I trying to come in and be well, like, that implies oh, that I know it has better a than them? Team. Sometimes we want it to look better. Yeah. Well, look, I don't know about accessibility with this OS either, because I know we get that question a lot. The Calamari's installer, I don't think, has a ton of accessibility options in it. It may have some available. I have to look at that when we play with it some more. But also, depending on the desktop environment you choose, like GNOME Mm -hmm. has very good accessibility options. So if you choose that one, uh, I think KDE has some good accessibility stuff in there as well. But if you choose one of these others, you may not have any ability if if you, accessibility is a big deal for you to utilize this distro. So just want to mention that. Yeah, that's a good point. We love hearing from our worldwide community. What we want you to do, listen, just listen to me here. Get your official deal in mug. If you don't have one, you better order one right now because what the heck, why don't you have one? And fill it with some coffee or bubbly is acceptable too, but we may change that because the Pepsi hasn't sponsored us yet. I don't know what the problem is. Actually, by the way, I, I found some product. sparkling water that I actually like. That's I mean, not the time, Michael. Okay, sorry. Yeah, we're talking it's, about bubbly. Yeah, please sit down at your nearest stool and send us an email to <laughs> comments at destinationlinux.org. And if you want to join in on the community discussions, then join the DLN community forum by going to dlnforum.com. There's all kinds of cool things. Like, did you know the pseudo show had a hangout last week? You wouldn't know that if you weren't on the DLN forum that they had a hangout and you could sit there and talk to them with your bubbly in your DLN mug. I mean, these are the if- things you miss out on. If you were in the forum, then you would have known that. And then yeah, you yeah that's know. what I And meant. also, yeah. be sure to join the forum now because there's going to be another pseudo hangout sometime soon in the in the near future. So be sure to get be, get an account so that way you can know about when the next one happens. You just got the, to. You know what else is in the know? DigitalOcean, they're in the know. You know what they know? They know that the Destination Linux audience is where you go when you're looking for people that might want to buy some servers. So what does DigitalOcean sell? Well, they sell servers. They don't sell the servers. Actually, they buy the servers. They maintain the servers. They build the servers. They run the servers. They fix the servers. And they have a whole team of ninjas. They're actually ninjas that actually do all of that. And the whole idea here is you don't want to manage servers. You want to use servers. You want to resell those maybe to your clients, maybe even want to sell those to your clients and pretend like you own the servers. DigitalOcean doesn't care. They're happy for you to do that. Really what they want you to do is sit down as a developer and say, I want to use DigitalOcean's app 
platform. Well, what the heck is an app platform? An app platform is where a DigitalOcean does all the heavy lifting, and all you do is point your code repository towards DigitalOcean, and then, as I said, they do the heavy lifting. That's they sweet. build the infrastructure. They securely manage your apps. They push the code. They take your code that you push into production, and in just a few clicks, it becomes a reality. That's what they. It's like magic. They create, manage, and renew your SSL certificates. They protect your apps from DDoS attacks with, with little to no customization. The app platform is an open cloud native standards platform. And that means that it automatically analyzes your code, creates containers, and runs them all on Beautiful. Kubernetes clusters. All of this is being done by DigitalOcean. See, we, we wrap it up into marketing speak sometimes because it makes it easier to convey in a two-minute ad read when the people sit there with their stopwatches and are like, hey, we need to be done with the ad read. I, we understand <laughs> that, but we're, we just get so excited sometimes that tell you all of this stuff literally when when i started working in the it industry none of this stuff existed you wanted a server you went to dell you bought a server then you hired a guy to set up a server and then you paid an operating system company to send you operating systems for the company and then there was this game that you played every few days you'd call the hardware company and say but the, the, the software isn't working and the software company would say well that's a hardware problem then you call the hardware company and go but this doesn't work and they go well that's a software problem you call the software is it was it was a nightmare none of that happens anymore because every the software is made by people who work with the hardware people, who work with the system administrator people, and then everybody puts that all together, and then they just package it into a nice web UI dashboard Love that it. you can log into at digitalocean.com. Actually, it's do.co slash DLN. You know what that gets you? $100 credit. You can play with all the stuff I was talking about for free, better for free, because they were giving you $100. And all you have to do is go to do.co slash DLN. It used to be digitalocean.com. They didn't even, they're not even making you do that anymore. Everything is easier with digitalocean. Do.co <laughs> slash DLN. Get started with that free $100 credit. And a huge thank you to DigitalOcean for continuing to sponsor this week in Destination Linux. We'd like to welcome back Jeremy Kaufman. Jeremy is the CEO of Library Incorporated and was with us back all the way on episode number 164. So we're so happy to have you back, Jeremy. And while normally we'd have you back to talk about all the awesome things you're doing on Library, and we may get to some of that still, there's been something going on that we want to bring people's attention to that could have major implications for the future. So I guess Let's start with at the beginning and lay the foundation for those who haven't heard of library yet. I'm sure there's very few of them in our community, but just in case somebody's out there, how does the library video platform work at a very high level? Yeah, there, there's a lot there. And and by the way, the, the incident you're referencing, which we'll talk about in a bit, was happening even during that first episode. I just wasn't allowed to, to talk about it. Oh, no uh, kidding. Yeah. Yeah. So well, well you well, kept a really good face through that whole thing. Then. <laughs> I mean, I'm a, it's I'd rather be where we are today uh, with you know, more than 20 million people used odyssey.com last month, which didn't even exist when I talked to you yeah. guys the first time. Right. So so library has been blown up. Um, I'll, I'll dig into exactly what it is. And for your audience, they're going to love the nerdy aspects oh, uh, yeah. of it. But for in case, I don't know, you know, maybe there's a uh, a uh, spouse or someone else is just listening. Uh, Odyssey.com is the easiest way to use library. Uh, yep. A lot of people say it's the successor to YouTube, or it feels like YouTube, uh, tube, like it used to be. You know, when it was um, less so pro corporate, more focused on independent content. And that's it. It's really easy to use. There's, it's built on top of this thing called library, which starts to get uh, quite technical, and we're going to go down that rabbit hole. But I want to emphasize at the start that that you can just go to odyssey.com, have a great time and experience a YouTube with sort of better policy 
than the current policy and, and exploitation that happens on, on sort of big tech sites. And that that's like, you don't need to know anything else <laughs> to, to go and enjoy that. And that's part of why that site's doing so well. But library. Uh, so library is a, a blockchain-based uh, decentralized protocol that um, facilitates the, the discovery, distribution, and purchase of, of digital content. Uh, it sort of does to publishing what, what Bitcoin does to money. Um, so we can have these YouTube-like or Amazon-like web experiences, but we don't have to cede the same amount of, of control to uh, a corporate entity. Um, everything's open source. I can uh, talk about how, how it actually provides all of these features, but that's the sort of high-level right. production. No, that that's fantastic. And so everybody knows all of my content, Michael's content, destination links, everything's posted out on library. So if you want to get rid of YouTube out of your life, you can uh, go check out all the videos and content that we do out there on library. But library also has another unique system because there, there are several competitors trying to or have tried to come up with alternatives to YouTube. A lot of them very unsuccessful because there's no way for content creators to actually have any ability to get some form of compensation or revenue or credit or something while you're making content. So library has something called the LBC credit system, which I think is going to be key to the rest of this discussion. How does LBC work? So that is a, a cryptocurrency that is used on the network. Uh, it's used to compensate content creators. It's used to in very small amounts when you're publishing or when you're creating a handle. And then there's also a staking system where credits that you've accumulated can be used to boost or or signal about other content and other identities on the network. Nice. So we're talking about the LBC, and it's a really interesting structure and credit system. Uh, this is also something that has been in, well, uh, it's been under scrutiny a little bit from the SEC. So the SEC filed a lawsuit. What exactly is their complaint related to LBC? And could you kind of like break it down, like what is going on related to this? Sure. And that was the event that we were hinting at at the beginning that has actually been going on since May of 2018. So we're coming up with the three year, uh, the three year anniversary. And I think one of the reasons they decided to bring the case was that the statute of limitations was uh, about to be up on, on what they're uh, accusing us of here, um, which is uh, it's absolutely ridiculous. I'll get into the details, but it's not uh, it's not a threat to the library network. If they're not attempting to, you know, destroy or shut down the network, everyone's cryptocurrency, everyone's content, uh, everything's safe in, in that regard. What it is, is it's a danger to the United States cryptocurrency industry because the standard they're alleging will make it very difficult for companies to continue to work on and uh, develop these uh, technology. Um, so they're essentially claiming, um, so we did no ICO. There's no, there's no victim in this case. There's no one that went to the SEC and said, you know, I feel like I was tricked or something. Uh, but they're saying that because my company uh, continued to develop the, the library technology while holding the token, uh, that that made the token a uh, security. Um, you know, so we think this is a, a really ridiculous standard that would make almost every token uh, in the U.S., uh, uh, security, and we think it sets some like really bad incentives and precedents for an industry that's you know just just getting going. And I you know I think is very important because um, like, they're effectively saying if we had walked away with some of the money earlier, um, we would have been fine. But because we took some of that money and used it to continue to develop the technology as like good stewards of what we had built, that's you know 
that's, that's the part problem. of what makes yeah and so it's it's really ridiculous um it's a it's a it's a pretty offensive case we have a lot more detail uh, about it at a website called help lbry save crypto.com which has a video and a fact and uh, you can read the complaint and a bunch of other other stuff on there with uh, with Library and Odyssey, you've begun working with the SEC for over three years now. You've been providing information and documents and 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 why Library as a startup has been under scrutiny to begin with. It's a lot of people are asking this, this question. Um, you can see crypto Twitter and a lot of the people in the industry saying, why are they targeting Library? Um, and there's sort of I, I honestly don't know the answer, right? Because you can go down the list of companies. And again, if the, in the standard that they're saying here, it's seriously 80, 90% of blockchain companies. Like I don't, uh, to me, Ethereum two would meet the standard they're advancing here. And that's what clear, I was I just thinking. I, yeah, yeah. I don't want Ethereum two uh, to, to be deemed a security. I want all this stuff to be free. Um, they need to provide clear rules. We've begged them to do that. We've we started writing our own rules and asking if they would comment on them and like they wouldn't. And so, you know, we started this blockchain all the way back in 2016 when the, the rules were even more unclear. We spent a bunch of money on legal advice. We tried to do everything right. And it's this Kafka-esque kind of game where it's like, it would have been like, if we did A, they would have said A is wrong. If we did B, they would have said B is wrong. And they won't comment on whether, you know, C, D or E is, is okay. And so we're just left like completely guessing. Uh, and, you know, that's the part that's like really like the most offensive um, to me is like, we're really trying to do the right thing. We weren't, you know, we were, we're not enriching ourselves. We've been, we're getting punished, I think, because we're being so transparent, like the, the evidence in their case is all things that you can download, you know, from our website, like here's the spreadsheet of transactions that we've performed. Um, you know, so like, I think they're either being like lazy and it's like this, we made it easy. Whereas these other companies or some other companies are maybe making it harder or, you know, like we certainly have been in the press a lot lately, even before this, because we have become uh, one of the most useful technologies if you're concerned about what's going on at big tech. It's just odd. It, it, it strikes me as so odd that out of all of the massive players in there, I mean, we're talking a, a market now that in cryptocurrency and blockchain things worth trillion dollars or more that they go after library. Of yeah. all things, like yeah. there's so many, if you're going to start implementing rules, it's almost like it's a testing ground or something. Let's start with one company and see if, if we can get some stuff passed because we're going to pull one over on them real quick or write some new rules or see even how this court case thing plays out before we go after a big player, a bigger player or something like that. I, I don't get it. I don't yeah. understand. I mean, you, you'll see a, a bunch of settlements from other companies in 2019, 2020. And we were in settlement discussions as well. And we're happy to give them some money, even though I think we didn't really do anything wrong. It's like, if I don't want to fight the government. That's also expensive, just yeah. really pragmatically. That's how they win a lot of yeah. cases. Just right. Go away. Oh, and, and they money. say, you know, they say that, right. They get you on the phone and they're like, they, 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 they insist on conducting business over the phone. And then they like basically say, you know, Hey, you know, this, this would be real expensive if we had to do this. And it's like, come on, are you kidding me? Like they have, they absolutely know it. They know they use it as a, as a weapon. Um, but it's like, they would, it, all we ever wanted was clarity moving forward. You know, like we're very open-minded on what we would do. And it was constantly like, give us money and we won't tell you what to do moving forward. And it's like, well, that's what I need. Like, if you're saying that I did something wrong, like you have to tell me how, give me some kind of law I can follow in terms of how to do it right. Uh, and it, 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 there was absolute refusal. Well, well, let's get into that point. So there has to be, right, 
clear guidelines for something like the SEC that they've laid out that any business could abide by. And you're saying there's not, they're taking a, they're taking a law written in 1933 and they're attempting to apply it to these, these modern technical instruments that like don't map cleanly onto laws. So you have like terms, you know, it's like you have a bunch of terms like referring to like a horse or a carriage and like figuring out how it applies to cars <laughs> or like other, other things like this. And it's like, you're reading it and you're like, I don't know. I have no a idea. Like as a computer, I, I've given, I've reached, like nothing has made me so humble about my own knowledge as like attempting to understand <laughs> the law and predict the, what the government will do. It's, it's you know, it's, it's insane. Um, and did you read uh, the clause where you could have a pistol duel with the SEC if you wanted to settle the case? Maybe you could do a that. trial by combat. <laughs> yeah, trial by combat. I, it, I'm, it certainly made me think that we need to be a lot more open-minded in the design of our systems here. I mean, maybe we do need to include some of these measures. It's it's like there's no there's like and then it's you know the other thing that happens is like ultimately and I I, I think we're going to win, but ultimately like our case is going to basically be decided by. Um, at least in the first round by like one judge who's, you know, 80 years old. And it's like, I, I'm sure he seems to be a very sharp guy and I'm sure he'll take the time to like learn a lot about the case and everything, but it's just like, it's, I would, I would pay like several million dollars to just be told what the rules are. And in the way you end up having to find out the rules is like, go to court. And it just seems so to get the fines, to get the money. And then they're going to use your case to go after other cryptos likely I would think, but I, I, I think that's likely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, the, 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 I hope that the library is successful in this because this is uh, this. It does seem quite a, kind of ridiculous, in my opinion. But if, if the FCC is successful in their case, what does that mean for library and other crypto-based services, or just cryptocurrencies in general? I, again, I think I think library is fine. They're not going after people. It might get a little bit harder to trade it, but I think that the economy will be fine. We have like investment money on standby. It doesn't make sense to put investment money into a company, you know, if you have some some chance of some large judgment. Like the work's going to continue. The content's fine. The cryptocurrency's fine. I think it's a chilling effect on blockchain in the U.S. I think it drives U.S. innovation and blockchain innovation out of the U.S. into places like China. And I'm not trying to attack China specifically, but we had four exchanges join us in the Asian Pacific region, mostly centered on China, in response to this SEC action. And we had one U.S. exchange drop us. Like the tech's not going anywhere, you know, right. It's, it's, it's creating a really bad set of, of incentives. And it, it means that like U S involvement in this technology could be diminished. I think that's the biggest danger. Some people have, uh, have said that these lawsuits are really just designed to cripple cryptocurrencies and that they're, that, that the government's really just upset that cryptocurrencies are competing against bank products. Do you think that that's that, that you're just being used as kind of a testing ground to see if we can get lawsuits to stick, um, for an assault on cryptocurrency? I, I mean, I think it's possible. I think we absolutely see a regulatory capture in our, in, in the industry that's regulating uh, financial industry. Um, so in the sense that they end up protecting the status quo rather than uh, protecting the little guy. I'm not necessarily incur- like saying that there's specific collusion, like, you know, the CEO of, of some big bank is like calling up the regulator and saying, get these guys. I just think that ends right. up being the set of incentives and these people end up working their way into positions of, of power and they have biases and all of this stuff that this ends up being 
um, what happened? There, it happens. They're incentivized to protect the status quo. I think that's what's happening here. Could it be uh, more than than that? I, I mean, I I don't know. I, I I will say like I think blockchain ultimately ends up winning. I don't think this is that different than the internet 20 years ago or more than 20 years ago when we had some of these same like stupid regulatory fights about how how are things going to work online and like things ended up turning out uh, okay. Uh, I know I'm supposed to like stoke the outrage and like, cause it is, there are aspects of this that are very outrageous, um, but I'm still a huge optimist. I can see that. And that's not, that's not easy. I mean, when we talked to talk to you um, back in the episode, what, 164, this was going on and we had no idea. Nobody really had any idea you were allowed to talk about it or whatnot back then, but you're still optimistic, but this is not a fun battle to be having. This is not a fun thing to go through, but I think it's awesome that you're still able to stay so positive about it because library and Odyssey has grown so much since even the last time we talked to you, which you could see why this is a project and a product that everybody wants. Um, for those who don't understand blockchain yet, there's still a lot of people just getting into this. Obviously, everyone's heard of it. They've probably heard of cryptocurrency. What's a quick pitch to help anyone understand the importance of this technology as both a platform and a digital asset system in your mind? Sure. About library specifically or blockchain in general? Um, I think we could kind of do both. Maybe start with blockchain in general, but then how yeah. libraries incorporated it. So perhaps. I'll give you my take on this, which is I think I'm, I'm sure it's not unique, but it's not always that it's sort of how I got to falling in love with blockchain. And it's not always the emphasis that other people give first. Um, I see blockchain first and foremost, technologically speaking, as um, actually a new type of database technology that that sounds kind of boring but it's actually very powerful to be able to agree on a sort of set of, of state um, without anyone being in charge of it. I think this ultimately ends up being a really empowering technology. Um, that's why I was such a fan of it. When I say empowering, I mean, allowing more personal control, allowing more personal choice, more, more egalitarian, less sort of like, you know, power distance where you're being dominated, whether it's a government or a large corporation or other entities, when there's sources of power, that power does end up getting corrupted or abused in, in some way. It seems like almost an inevitability. Um, and I think that I think that what's going on with big tech is also an example of this, where these companies were behaving much better when they had um, less power. Yeah. Uh, and, and so blockchain allows this um, this local control, this ability to do things without needing to cede the same amount of 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 power or or choice um, to to these other bodies, and I just like I really love that idea. It needs the tokens need to be tradable for that to be possible, right? And then that gets into the whole world of economics, which is also really interesting, and I love economics. But to me, like I I wasn't into blockchain because I wanted you know a new casino or new gambling or even just new even just better money. It's cool that it's better money in some aspects potentially. Um, but I think that it's actually a lot more than that. I think library is an example of that where it's not just about being able to, to have to move money without uh, some other party having a say it's the ability to, to publish and have online identity um, and to have some of these web 2.0 type services or even other markets or or even corporate structure when you get into like DAOs and stuff like this. There's there's sort of these blockchain-based versions of a lot of different things. And I'm not saying they're all going to work and some of them probably won't, won't end up being worthwhile, but I think a number of them are uh, going to be worthwhile and it will really change. It will replace these sort of 
closed systems with uh, with open ones, I think. is Well, to put is, it in context, up. how would library had to exist? Not library, I guess the Odyssey, the video platform, if we just look at that by itself. You wanted, let's just say you wanted to create a YouTube alternative. Yeah, so I think if I... It, like that blockchain would be didn't an alternative, exist. right? Like that's if, if the blockchain didn't exist, then it would just be an alternative. Odyssey.com would be no different than some of these other YouTube alternatives um, out there. It's the blockchain, the Web3 aspect that I think makes it more of a successor rather than just an alternative. Because now, even on Odyssey in the centralized version, you're building up a cryptocurrency wallet. You can download that. You can take it out of the system. Your identity is in that wallet. Your earnings are in that wallet. Your content, the it's not literally in the wallet, but like the ability to edit it and control it is in the wallet. The, your settings and your followers and all of this stuff, it's all local. And because all of the code is open source, it's very easy for other versions to be created. You can use the desktop version. You can use other versions that exist. And so you have this system that's aspects of it are like federated uh, federation like now, of course, like federation is not new federation, in my opinion, also kind of didn't work. Maybe it will one day. I'm not like writing it off, but this far it kind of hasn't. And I think part of the reason it hasn't is like, there's not a coherent whole in federated services. And whereas in these blockchain based systems, you do have a coherent whole. It's right. what's, what's actually the way. So it's only like sort of like half federated. Um, and it's very interesting. And this is another way. It's not exactly like what came before. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, and especially the whole federation system of some other alternatives are not that practical because their federation is not. It's it's all like theoretically good in the terms of federation, but there's so many pieces that are missing that make the federation not that reliable on a grand scale. Whereas the, the approach that library has, where it's decentralized, but at the same time there's still a like a like a, a core essence to it that, that makes it where you only have to go to odyssey.com to find out all the content but everybody still technically has a they're all all their systems in local when the wallet system is also local and that's the way you were describing it it is a, a very interesting uh, thing and i i'm uh in fact the the fact that you're talking about it's open source and all the different elements of open source uh when you we had you on last time i even contributed to library at the time before in some ways and it was just like just to kind of see the experience of like how open is this and so many different pieces of it. I, I basically, it was, it was kind of funny because we were having a conversation in the GitHub where I suggested something. And you're like, you should just, you know, bank a pull request. And I was like, well, yeah, I guess I could do that. So then <laughs> I started contributing to it. And it's just that that kind of dynamics to it is just so, super interesting. Right. Uh, and it also, it, because you were talking about how the, the LBC is associated to, you know, publishing on the platform and that sort of stuff, it reminded me of like different types of virtual currencies and tokens that are like they've been around for decades. So like uh, some some people are familiar with the SEC claim have stated that LBC works uh, the way the way it works on, on Odyssey is similar to how some businesses have these in-house tokens, like for example Chuck E. Cheese and that sort of thing. Uh, there, there's, there's also like games that have virtual currencies and like that it can be exchanged for real money and that sort of stuff. Some of the people are saying that based on these, the loose phrasing of the lawsuit that the SEC, uh, if they were to do this and to be successful, that it could be applied to those businesses, uh, giving it a much broader reach, not even just crypto, but also any form of in-house token whatsoever. What, what are your thoughts on these, these interpretations? Yeah, well, I don't think it's an in-house token. I think that the system is substantially more decentralized beyond that because you can use it via the desktop software, via the command line software. So I don't think that that's even that's an appropriate comparison. I do agree that even in that kind of system, that 
that an aggressive interpretation of these laws would make a system like these in-house token systems um, um, potentially securities. I mean, all kinds of things in aggressive interpretation of this law, um, you know, various collectibles, um, uh, all any number of things, even even certain types of commodities um, could be considered, um, you know, securities. Uh, you know, and that's that is another part of this that's so ridiculous, right? They're claiming that the people who bought these tokens, which are completely fungible, they don't a user doesn't know whether they're buying them from us or from someone else, and we're selling only a small amount. And they're claiming that that's an investment contract that that other person, you know, thought that they were getting. Um, this certain legal promise from us equivalent to an equity uh, in our company. And it's just ridiculous. Like no one thinks that like not <laughs> no. a single person who bought our token thinks that. Well, when I went to Chuck E. Cheese and got some of their tokens, I thought I'm an owner of Chuck E. Cheese franchise <laughs> now. This is amazing. Right? I, I absolutely right. love this. Yeah. 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 So what about other crypto based businesses have, is, is anybody helping you here? Are they getting involved and realizing, Hey, this is a big deal. And while it's library today, it's going to be me tomorrow. I, I got to imagine, are, are people just scared to get involved or what's been the outreach? Uh, no, the, the, there are other firms that are interested. We're uh, probably going to put something together here. This is not, it, this is a, a long fight. <laughs> it's the truth. You know, it's not, um, it, it, we could get everyone to sign a letter and n- nothing would be different next month, right? We have to kind of wait for this slow machine to chug along and we will be continuing to take actions to kind of continue to to um, update people about the story and to continue to push um, the outcomes that that we want. But it's something that's going to be going on for a long time. Um, so that that will come in time. What about uh, other people? You know, what about like myself? What can we do to support library, to support what you guys are doing, to bring attention to the, you know, this kind of stuff? What can ordinary people do that are listening to this? How can they help? So the number one thing that you can do is actually just to continue to spread library. Um, so if you're already, if you're not using it, start using it right now. I hope no one is still on YouTube at this point, but if you are, please, uh, please switch. It's much better over here. Uh, if you are already doing that, you know, tell a friend, tell a couple of friends, make it easy for them to to get on, give them your invite link so that you each start with, you know, eight, eight LBC or whatever it is. Um, send them some and, you know, create a handle, encourage your friends to create handles. Like we've, we've grown to this size entirely through, you know, word of mouth, people telling other people. And so I, sh- I also want to say thank you. To all- I know. So I'm, uh, I'm saying this, like people haven't done it. Probably a lot of people listening to the show already have. Uh, and I really thank you for doing that because this is how we're winning. The more people that use library, the more resilient we are to, to these types of disruptions. Um, so that's the number one thing. There's a petition you can sign too. And it's awesome if you can sign this. It'll help show to um, politicians and regulators that this is something that upsets people. That petition is at help LBRY save crypto, uh, dot com. Uh, and so that's another thing that you can do. Very cool. Nice. And I'm, I'm definitely uh, excited to promote Odyssey. It's one of the when when you when you first announced Odyssey, I was I was really interested to in see like how would it be uh, in comparison to the functionality of you know what people are used to on YouTube and that sort of stuff. And it's a it's a very smooth transition and like there's a lot of great features available in Odyssey. And uh, in my opinion, I think that li- the library framework and the network is the best alternative I have Absolutely. ever used, without yeah. a doubt. Yeah, yeah. so it's the best option out there. There's nothing even close to it. I've I, I get every week somebody's like, there's this new one, new alternative to YouTube. Go check it out. And I'm like, it's there's nothing. The only one that's ever stuck with me is library. 
uh, it's the only system that makes sense that actually has a way for the creators to have something coming back to them because in my case, spend thousands of dollars on equipment and hardware to do videos. I need some way to know that this is there, there's something coming back from it. And, and library is the only one that has a system that's thought of other than let's steal people's data and sell it and do a bunch of ads and all that kind of junk. So uh, it, it's an amazing system. It's an amazing service. Jeremy, you're a wealth of knowledge. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on this show, to talk to our audience about this. Next time we have you on, let's just have it be a win the case thing and just talk and geek out about library the whole time. Um, <laughs> yeah. that, that that would yeah. be awesome. 100%. That means uh, so much. I love you guys. I love everything you do. I've been into open source for a really long time. And just the ethos of it is is everything that I'm about, that we're about. I, it, it feels it feels really good to have uh, your people like you, you know, like on, on our side and, and helping us all win together. And I really yeah. appreciate it. We have our we have your back and our audience has your back. So people go check out that site. We're going to have a link in the show notes when this comes out as well. So you can just click that, sign the petition. But most importantly, get out there and use library. Jeremy, we're going to have you back real soon, man. Bye, guys. Yeah. See ya. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started with your account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. If you're not familiar, Bitwarden is a password manager, and that is software that allows you to get peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do this? Well, it provides multiple tools, such as a secured vault to store all of your passwords in. It auto-generates those passwords for you with their password generation system, and it even automatically fills in those passwords on login forms so you don't have to do any of that stuff. And it works on multiple types of devices, like your web browser extensions. It has mobile apps, desktop applications, and even works on the command line. So if you're into the terminal stuff, you can do that as well. And Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption before it ever leaves your devices so you know you're the only person with access to your data. So go to bitwarden.com slash dealing and get started with your account. And did I mention it's free? You can get it started for free right now. But there's also a tons of other great features that you can do and get by the premium account, which starts at less than $1 per month. That's right. For just $10 per year, you get one gigabyte encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, priority customer service, and so much more. So make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. And in addition to all of this stuff, all of these great features, Bitwarden is 100% open source software. So they actually make it possible for the community to look and help with the code, make it, in, make it better, and so much more. Bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started with your account. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring Destination Linux. Today, we have Bo coming back on the show for his segment, the Bo Hack Snack, the Bo Hack it's, from the Bo Hack Shack. Is that it? I, I don't know. What what I was thinking is maybe we call it the, it's, it's Bo's Hack Snack in the Hack Shack. I love it. I love it. But this is Bo's reoccurring segment on this show. So many of you love Bo. In every segment we have, we get so many compliments and wanting him on more and more. He's everybody's favorite hacker slash pen tester out there. But this week, Bo, you're going to talk about digital steganography. I cannot, why? Steganography. I cannot get that word pronounced right. But, I can't yeah. even do it, apparently. Stenography. Close enough. There we go. Uh, basically, this is hiding secret data or messages inside of another file. So let's start from the beginning and defining kind of what this is used for, or what you've used it for, or what your thoughts are on this, Bo. 
Okay. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to my little shack here. Uh, yeah, stenography has been used for a really, really long time. It was used back by George Washington and his little group of spies that he had. Stenography is like using invisible ink. That's what George Washington did. You would make a letter, like, say, a letter to your mom talking about how the family was, but in between the lines, you would write your hidden message in invisible ink. Once that message got delivered to the person, they knew that they could heat the paper up and then the hidden message would appear. This is where we get the old saying, read between the lines. That's where it comes from. I had no idea. I yep. learned, learned more. Everything every, Today, we're just learning so much. Yeah, <laughs> that's where that saying comes from. Read between the lines, the hidden message inside the message. In stenography, one thing that is, is really used in is, is you take an image and like a meme and you take and there's two tools that I use out there. One of them is called Steghide, S-T-E-G hide, H-I-D-E, which is a command line tool. But my favorite tool is called Stego Suite. It's a GUI tool. And it's very, very easy to use. And you, while I'm doing this talk, you'll see a little demonstration of me using it on a meme and hiding a message in here. But what it does is, is basically you can click on an image with the Stego Suite tool. You're able to put the message in there and click embed, and then it embeds the message in there. Now, the big difference between this and encryption is with encryption, encryption actually scrambles the message you know, using some kind of encryption algorithm. And when you see that like a encrypted email, you might not be able to read it, but you know somebody is sending a message to somebody if you've got a hold of the file that they don't want you to read. So that looks suspicious. But with stenography, you're just posting, you're just sending somebody maybe an image of your family. Here's the latest screenshot of me and my family at the beach. And your friend, whoever you're sending your hidden message to, you know, the way the email looks, you're just sending a picture and you're talking about your vacation. But your friend or whoever you're sending the message to knows to open that image with, with, the, with the Stego Suite tool and click on the extract and put in a password. And now the, and now the hidden message comes out to the person that's receiving it. Stenography can also be used to hide passwords. Instead of using a, a password manager, you can use this, this Stego tool to uh, hide passwords like your bank passwords. You can have a picture in there of your car. You know that your bank password is in your car picture. So you can use this tool to open it up and, and get that password out. And yes, you know, password managers are good, but you got to look at what happened in the ubiquity hack. The hacker went and found the guy's key store because that's a file that says key store and you go looking for it. And, you know, that's something I look for, you know, like I, I talked about before about, you know, finding a finding a folder marked keys. Well, what am right. I going to do? I'm going to look in that key folder because I'm pretty sure there's some <laughs> keys in there I want. But a picture of mom and dad, you don't think about something being hidden it when you open it. Oh, that's just a JPEG. Yeah, but there's a lot more there to that JPEG. So without a special tool, let's say I hide a message into one of these pictures. And it's very simple. If you've never seen this done, you, you basically open this GUI. Like you said, you have a picture there and you type your message in. Is, do you, you have to have a special tool to then reveal that message 
back. You can't just right click on a random picture and see if there's a message in it, right? No, no, because the message how stenography works, this tool works is, is it breaks apart your message. And like an image has a lot of slack space in it. And what it does is it hides the message within that slack space of the, of the image. And so you really can't go in there and like, you know, open up the JPEG in a text editor and find it because it's scattered through there. That tool knows where it's got an algorithm that it runs, that it knows where to look within that image to find your message and extract it. I think this is absolutely amazing. So we're talking about digital stenography, but this has been used, as you mentioned, throughout all of history. People used to hide things in tablets under the wax writing where it normally would be. They would hide it within um, news printing, for instance. They would just they would hide messages out there and you could put pinholes, I guess, in certain places. And then you would get a secret hidden message when they're communicating um, to other agents and things in other countries. It's probably still used in some form to transfer messages and things between agents and other countries and stuff. But regular users can use this, not only those forms of uh, this technology, but digitally with pictures and things. And I think it's just a fascinating use case. But can you hide other things? Can you hide viruses, malicious things as well? Uh, well, basically, well, the way you hide a payload like in a PDF is basically the same thing. You know, when you're hiding a payload like in a doc file or something, you're right. basically doing the same thing here, but it's, you know, you're you're out to attack somebody instead of, you know, sending a message. But yes, when you hide a payload in a file, that it, you, you are using stenography in a sense to hide that payload in there. So when you click on it, yeah, it runs and then, you know, I own you. Does this, uh, does this, you know, with the password, is that, is, is that a way of, is it encrypting the information before it's storing it in there or is it just scattering the, the it's, information? No, it's really scattering it more than encrypting it. And matter of fact, you can also, you can not put a password when you use that tool in there. And when you open the tool back up and hit extract it, it you know, you don't have to use a password. Of course, I would. How I was going to say, how secure is the, how secure is like Stego Suite in general? If you embed a, a, a thing and you really had a, a trained attacker that was looking for that, I would assume in pretty short order, they would be able to figure out that you used Stego Suite. Is at that point, is it just down to how complex your password is and, and how does it actually hash those passwords? If you, if you know. It's not really, it's so, you know, as secure as encryption. If you really want to be, one thing you could do is if you really want to be secure is, is you could encrypt a message with GPG and then embed it in the image and then you're totally secure. Yeah. Because gotcha. They would way, have to be looking for both, yeah. right? Because if a government yeah. or somebody was going to get in and you've got, you've got all of these keys, maybe they're encrypted and they're just sitting there in a folder called keys. Eventually, if they could break that encryption, they could get the actual result. But if you're hiding yeah. it in pictures, they may just ignore that and be like, oh, this is right. download memes that they have. The stuff's not going to be in there. Very interesting. But I mean, with the like whole a, GPG thing where you have the, the message encrypted inside of, like you have it encrypted in itself, but have that inside of the JPEG as well, then you get like a double factor thing. That's really Yeah, cool. then you've got cool. a double factor where it's not being seen because like if you use GPG to encrypt a file and, you, and like I send it, to you, Ryan. Right. It goes across the wire. You know, the little three-letter agencies are going to see that .asc file post fix. And so they're going to know that's an encrypted file. 
And so they may want that they're going to scarf it up and send it to Utah in case that one day they need to crack into it and see it. Mm -hmm. Whereas an image, you know, I sent you an image of me and the kids that, you know, that looks rather innocuous. Although if we're wearing our tinfoil hats, then we'd probably say that they still scarf that image up, store it down in that data center in Utah because, you know, collect everything, save everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but not as they really still don't look as they really don't know where to look because I've taken, you know, I've used now there's a couple of tools where you can get into the image and find you know, find the message like uh bin walk. But mm-hmm. it's a really really hard tool to use and you've really got to know how to grip it to find that message. A lot of times even using bin walk, you might not find the message within that image. But you know, that's the thing you're really, you know, you're using obscurity for a type of, you know, you're, you're, you're just using the fact that it's hidden. Yeah. Don't hide it in a picture of yourself wearing tinfoil hats and you'll probably be safe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You think about this. You want to send a message uh, to somebody. Oh, well, you're talking about bad guys using it. Well, let's say some uh, terrorist wants to send a message to a cell group somewhere. Well, they can post an image on Facebook. And it might be an image of a car, you know, but the, the terrorist cell knows to look for that car image. Well, they download the image off of Facebook or Instagram. I mean, you could ha- actually hide a message and then put it up on in- Instagram where it's publicly available. And nobody would really know that there's something hidden in it. Well, that and you could have even in a non-nefarious purpose, you know, watermarks. People can easily remove watermarks off of pictures. You know, people's digital creations get get stolen and reused where they don't want them. Um, but you could use this technography to basically do a hidden watermark on images to always have proof of ownership, essentially, that somebody wouldn't even know to strip out when they're reusing your image and maybe slightly modifying it, changing the color slightly. It's that that message is still going to be hidden in that digital asset, right? Even if they make yeah. some modifications. Yeah. I never that's thought cool. about that, but yeah, you could put, you could make a hidden watermark using this tool. Hmm. That's pretty awesome. That is a pretty this cool is idea. fascinating to me. I, I actually went and ordered a book on this subject because I just, I want to kind of know, I've always heard about the hidden messages and things and you see it in movies, but seeing that we have tools available on Linux that help you do this, help you decode these and find these, I just find it such a fascinating subject that I feel I need to learn a lot more about overall. It's a very cool concept. And also you can basically take a photo of any of the uh, cat photos online and then find the uh, the hidden message of that they are demons uh, inside of the image. Uh, so <laughs> Man, all of our fans of cats, which is pretty much all of our fans, are really uh, going to get you for that one. Most people who are cat hey, people also yeah. know this is a fact. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they may admit it. Especially when they knock your drink off the table. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Don't talk bad about my, my roommates. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So David Kahn is actually well known to talk about the code breakers and secret communications. This is one of the books that I saw recommended by a lot of people. Have you done any reading or have any suggestions for people where you just, hey, get the tools in Linux and start playing with it for people who want to get involved, Bo? I really don't know of any b- books that are out there i mean i haven't really read any books the way i know about this is from especially about st- the old forms of stenography is back from when i was working as a private eye and stuff and i had to study those things awesome very cool 
Well, Bo, you have books out there for those who love Bo's discussions, his segments on the show. Bo, of course, we're going to have you back again to give us more of these hack snacks and information like this. But you have several books out there on Cali and pen testing and network testing. If they just go out and type in Bo Weaver, they'll come across a bunch of those. Uh, Anyone in particular you want to talk about today before we let you go? Well, uh, if you want to learn how to bust windows, you can get my second edition book. <laughs> nice. I love it. Nice. We'll have it linked in the show notes for you. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining oh, us again. By the way, oh, something I want to say is, is I actually got a job offer from Microsoft last week. Well, I think it would be awesome to get you in Microsoft, Bo, because I think you could fix a lot of things there from the inside if we could get you in there. So. Go ahead and accept for us. Yeah, okay. that'll go for no, well. Hey, John, did you hear the new guy said across the table? No, yeah, he wants to shut off all of our metrics. <laughs> this is a family show, so I'm not going to tell him to say what I wrote back. <laughs> I did I did tell him to buy my book. There nice. you go. Yeah, that'll teach him. I love it. Well, Bo, you're amazing wealth of knowledge. We love having you on the show. Thank you for joining us again. We're going to have you back in a few weeks for another Hacksnack. Glad to be here. Thank you. In the news this week, we're going to talk about the latest release of Firefox because Firefox 88 has released and they have the PDF forms now support JavaScript embedded inside of PDF files. Uh, They've also added a lot of new improvements to like the smooth pinch zooming using a touchpad, which is pretty nice. So there's even some improvements to the protecting against cross-site privacy leaks because uh, Firefox now isolates the window.name data to the website that created it. And I mean, let's be let's let's face it. The uh, Firefox 88 is not really why we're talking about it on this show, on the show because we wanted to talk about the upcoming Firefox 89. Yeah. Because there is a whole new redesign of the UI for Firefox coming in 89, and I take a look at it uh, for in the nightly builds for Firefox, and it looks quite nice. Yeah, I downloaded the beta. I've been playing with it. I suggest everyone download the beta. If you love Firefox like I do, start playing with it, find any bugs, issues, help make this an awesome release for them because it's one of our only mainstream non-Chromium browsers out there left. But I love the UI updates that they've made to this. The settings is the biggest standout feature to me. I know a lot of people talk about the tab bubbles and all those different changes, but to me, just opening the settings menu and not seeing 50,000 things, but (laughs) having it nice and consolidated and compact and easy to navigate I think is going to be a huge win for them by itself because it was too confusing, I think, otherwise, the the way it was in prior editions. So 88 is a great pre-release to 89, which is going to have the whole UI makeover, which is so overdue in Firefox. And I love it. That's all I could say is get involved, download it, play with this thing. Uh, I think you're going to love Firefox. If you've left it, come back home to Firefox where you should be. There's so many reasons to use Firefox. I mean, the new UI is nice, but there are so many fantastic reasons to use Firefox. We're going to talk about that a little bit more later on, but there's there's so many great stuff. But there's also people, you talked about how uh, the settings are very nice and they've actually cleaned up the organization of the settings. So there's not like multiple sub-tier menus and inside of the hamburger menu, it's much cleaner, which is really nice to see. Uh, They've also, there's people who are not happy about the tab. So let's just, address that a little bit and i think that it's not a big deal like i'm not like i recognize that the tabs are a little bit bigger uh so but some people are just not are bothered they're bubbly. by they're, they're really bigger they they're are bubbly. bigger they're bu- they're bubbly but they're a little bit bigger they actually um if you take the 
com- they they remove the oh, compact man. mode. Who is whining about this? Nonsense? I know, Come I know. On. I just wanted to clear because it's kind of it's kind of funny because they there's a lot of people no. who are complaining about the compact mode being removed from the UI and the difference between the compact mode and the current normal mode is 23 pixels. If you're complaining about this, you need a hobby. Let's go into gaming section. Yeah, let's move on. Gaming Silicon Dreams is the game I'm going to talk about. This is a really cool cyberpunky game. Uh, Silicon Dreams. I'm not talking about the Silicon Lottery where any of us could actually get a GPU. That's not the dream. Um, but in this one, it's 2065, and you're an interrogator model android tasked with rooting out deviance among your own kind. You must probe for lies, monitor and exploit emotional spikes, earn the trust of your subjects and make the final call. Do you release them or do you destroy them? So this is an interrogation game. It's pretty cool, right? I love this idea. They're like, you get to interrogate and see if, you know, uh, you're monitoring sadness, anger, disgust, shock, and fear to see, and then you can intimidate them. You can try to befriend them and get them to reveal secrets. All the things I did to Michael uh, to become his friend. And if you're looking for a very different type of game, this is the one that you want to check out. It's awesome. Wow, that explains so much. Now I understand. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Silicon Dreams. Check yeah. it out. Check it out. It is kind of interesting. I, I looked at the uh, the previews for it, and it's a it's a it's a pretty cool idea. And I like yeah. how it says you can you have to make them earn your trust and then maybe destroy them. Like, uh, okay, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. kind of messed up. Well, that's the last step I have with you left. Oh, wow! I've earned Le- your trust now. Now I destroy you. Um, in a game of CS:GO, ha! See, no, that yeah. wouldn't happen. Neither one of us yeah, would be. Right. Com- we would successfully get past the first stage of that. We'd probably game. grenade each other in both. <laughs> yeah, sides exactly. We would drop grenades on ourselves. That's pretty yeah. much what would happen. Anyway, so uh, just also you want to check out the software spotlight because this week is a application that I wanted to talk about because I've been playing with it and it is a really cool app. Now it's K Alarm or I like to call it Kalarm because even if it's not supposed to be, I want it to be. So Kalarm is a personal alarm uh, tool application scheduling thing for uh, made by the KDE team. And it is very cool. Now you might be thinking an alarm app, really? Well, it is actually fantastic because in addition to just doing alarm messages, you can get like customized text for that alarm. You can also make it automatically run a command uh, when the alarm happens. And also you can make it send an email when an alarm happens. So tons of really cool things. And it has uh, the ability to do like audible sounds for the alarms or it can do like messages. And like I said, it can run commands and you can even make it display text or output from a command based on this, this, whatever you want it to run and including some scripts. If you want to make it to run a script, you can do that too. Tons of cool stuff. It's kind of a good hacker tool. Now I think about it, Bo gets your K alarm set up. He's going to run scripts, you know, in certain points. I mean, oh, I, I guess yeah. you could take it that way. But <laughs> was another cool thing about it, it has recurring alarms. So you can make it do a single thing once a week or every day. Or even yeah. if you want to do it like uh, specific days of the week, you can even have it like, uh, you know, every four hours in uh, in uh, one once a week or whatever. Like it's multiple. It's so powerful. When I first looked at it, I was like, an alarm app. How good could this be? And then I started using it. And it's like, whoa. This well, is because it has a fantastic. K in front of it, we know why you went and looked at it. Well, of course, any, I, I KDE, did, yes. right? Because yeah, I, I okay. saw the K, I did go, well, this is probably yeah. powerful. Let's see exactly what it can happen. And turns out yeah. it is fantastic. And I think anybody who wants any sort of alarm system or scheduling system should check out Kalarm. If it's not pronounced that way, 
I petitioned to the developers that it should be, therefore, Kalar. Kalar. Probably why they have that capital A. Is I, to sh- indicate don't, that don't worry about K- that. Uh, don't worry about that. It's Sorry. Kalar. Okay, I won't talk don't about that. Don't use logic on this show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, let's talk about Firefox instead. Firefox has has a fresh release, and uh, and one way that you can level up your browser expertise is do it all from the keyboard. That's right. It's a challenge. Don't use your mouse while you're in in Firefox. No, but really though, sometimes when you're already on the keyboard and you're already typing messages or you're already going through, it can be faster to know how to manage your entire computer either from a mouse or from the keyboard. So from the keyboard in in Firefox, Spacebook will page down. You're reading through uh, that long article. You can just continue to hit the, the, the space bar or you can use shift space bar to page up. Um, control D easily bookmark a page or control T to open a new tab. And alt one through eight will switch to specific tabs in that order with alt nine switching to the very last tab. So those are some shortcuts you can use to get started. We'll have a complete list for you in the show notes. Make sure to check those out. And uh, if you're looking to level up your Linux ninja skills, then go back and watch previous episodes. Check out our tip of the week each week. Come back next week for another one. I just got to mention, Michael showed me, was it Control-L this week? Yeah, Control-L to jump yeah. to the address bar. Fantastic, yeah. I was so annoyed I didn't know that before. Control-L and then the yeah. Control-K to go to the search box. Like, It makes it so much faster if you're already on the keyboard. Like also, said, another quick things. tip, you hit Control-K and you go into the search box, you hit Control-Up and Down and it will let you like quick search between the search engines while you're in the search box. It's a really nice way. So if you have multiple search engines, you can like quickly jump between which one you want to do. Really cool. Uh, and yeah. what's funny is that the the space bar thing to do the page down, that's something I accidentally learned while trying to pause a video and didn't have the video active. And then <laughs> I job, and, and all of a sudden it was like, what happened? And then like then I didn't even know the shift space bar until this episode. So there you go. I learned something as well. Uh, there's lots of cool stuff in Firefox. And we didn't even mention all the like there's so many cool things like control T open a new tab control shift t to undo a closed tab super useful tons of different things you can do the only thing you need to know is container tabs that's why you should be using also, firefox container tabs are fantastic yes also bookmark system the best thing about one of the best things about firefox container tabs is the best of course but anyway yeah. uh l- just check out the show notes all the, the great shortcuts will be in there so check that out so a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to destination linux however you do it we love your faces. And if you want more DL, become a patron like all of these beautiful people here with us in our 64,000 square foot virtual stadium that you can't see because they're behind the scenes right now. And they're going to get a patron only after show and all kinds of other perks for being a patron. You can join us on Patreon or sponsors and come hang out with the crew. We actually got 27 people right now in the the, the stadium. 64,000 square feet. Do yeah, we need to build it so big for 27 I mean, people? We don't. We didn't have to. But, that's, but we did. But we're 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 overachievers. So that's just yeah. giving more room for people to join us in yeah, the stadium. Spread out. Exactly. Yeah. That's for social distancing in the virtual stadium. Everybody has their own six thousand square feet. In addition, every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, we're now live at DLNlive.com. The best part, everyone is invited to watch the recording of Destination Linux each and every week. We can't wait to see you in the chat. Yeah, and also go to dealinstore.com where you can find all the great swag and merch from the Destination Linux Network. We have t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, hats. Uh, we have, we had just recently added travel mugs and also aprons. Check out the Deal in Store. There's so many cool things. If you, so if, boss, if, man. You, if you're into cooking, maybe you're, out, you're grilling outside and you want to have a, an awesome hardware addicts apron, check it out. Available on the Deal in Store, dealinstore.com. 
Uh, there's so much great stuff there. We also have so many amazing shows here on the Destination Linux Network that you need to check out. We have the Pseudo Show, the Ask Noah Show, This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel, DLN Extend, Hardware Addicts, and get your game on with our latest show, the GameSphere Podcast. So go check out DestinationLinux.network and subscribe to all of the shows. And uh, there's so much great stuff to, to keep those penguins marching in the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. I did my best, Jill. I tried. <laughs> on the on the penguins. I don't know. I tried. And Deal and Extend will be doing a live show on May 19th. So make sure to go to the Discourse Destination Linux forums to get more information to go hang out with Deal and Extend crew there. That's Wendy, Matt, and Nate all together. You can go hang out with them, talk to them, ask them all the questions that you have. But most importantly, everybody have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Yes. It's over. You can turn your cameras on, your mics on, join us in the post-show. Where, where's my apron, Michael? I don't see it. <laughs> uh, I'll, see, I'll send you a direct link because you're a patron and get special treatment. Woo! Look at that. Yeah, I love it. The Hardware Addicts merch is the best-looking merch I've ever seen. It's better than all the other merch I've, ever, I've seen. That, that's just music. Uh, that I love that, it's, that it looks like a like computer chip. It looks great.